Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy to use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. The last time my football team, Leeds United, were any good at all, they used to run out onto the pitch to the accompaniment of the song Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. It's, uh, it's also a song that reminds me of the good times, reminds me of many happy, daft student nights. So when I learned that one of Chumbawamba's band members was also a keen runner and a fell runner at that, and he'd written a book about it, I was intrigued. Run Wild's a really good book, and... I was surprised and delighted then when Boff agreed to meet me for a chat during my bike trip around Yorkshire. I'd anticipated a fairly brief um, rock and roll type question and answer session, then getting shunted out the door, but I was very wrong. Uh, Boff's family were warm and welcoming, and we chatted for ages before I even started recording and sitting in the sort of living room that I'd love to have. It's quirky art and design on the walls, masses of music and, uh, and a happy level of lived-in clutter. So after a couple of cups of tea and a veggie burger, I eventually hit record and I asked Boff about measuring success, creative ambition and the childish joy of running in the hills. Okay, my first question. Thank you, Boff, first of all, for um, agreeing to meet you. In Thanks for coming. It's lovely to see you. Your very lovely house. And this, I like this house very much because I arrived, you offered me a cup of tea and about five minutes later I was offered a burger, a veggie burger. Yeah. I interviewed last week a Michelin star chef. Yeah. A really nice guy. Yeah. Cup of coffee. That was it. No food. No. I didn't eat for a day before. So could... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. You say but yeah, no Excellent. food. So you, yeah. you've out, you've outdone the Mich <laughs> Mr. Michelin. Brilliant. Uh, so my first question to you, and these are all questions I'm trying to figure out in my life, is how do you define success? Um, this, I'm in a weird situation with that simply because I was. Um, Nothing to do with the, the kind of, you know, the wildness and the running and all that sort of thing. Because I was in a pop group for, for 15 years before we had one hit song, that was the question that everybody asked for about two years after that hit song was, was what's it like to have success? Yeah. And, and the answer was, was always um, you can't measure success by having a hit single. 
and you can't measure success by by all the kind of monetary, you know, um, established ways that people tend to measure it by. Uh, especially nowadays with digital technology, people are measuring success in the number of hits you get and the number of likes you get and the number of... And um, to me, that's completely irrelevant. And I think the success with the, the band, for instance, was just being together for 15 years and still being friends with these people and having a really good time. And the success now is getting up and dropping Johnny off at school and immediately running up around the Chevin Forest over to Ilkleymore and having and being able to have like an hour or an hour and a half of my own time every day to just disappear away from digital technology and and be in my own space with nature. And I just think, wow, that's amazing that I've carved out that situation. And that that to me is successful. Um that yeah, I think that's a brilliant answer. <clears throat> um because I sort of wrestle sometimes with the demons of thinking, oh, if only I get this many followers, then I'll be successful. Or yeah. if only I sell this many books, then I'll be happy. Yeah. And it's nonsense. Because um, that figure will always go up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll never be satisfied. <laughs> the rainbow's end. Yeah. yeah. So a similar th- note, thing on that then. So throughout your life, well, any time really, are you, do you concentrate more on measuring the progress of your life or chasing a success a goal and so-called success i don't i'm not very ambitious and i think i don't know if that's because i've when i was younger i kind of actually learned to lower my expectations in the with the realization that if you do that then you you can you can be continually happy (laughs) okay aim low If, if that makes sense yeah yeah, and that, that. But what you've got to do is you have to be careful that that doesn't make you pessimistic. I'm definitely not pessimistic. I tend to look on the bright side of everything, but at the same time, if I go and watch Burnley Football Club play, if we get beat, that's a good training in aiming low. Exactly. If we get beat two or three nil, I just think this is a great experience. I get to go on a football match. It's a community thing. I go with my friends. It's it's a great day. Of course, it's disappointing that they get beat, but I don't want to base my my enjoyment on whether they win or lose. And I think if you if you can kind of learn to do that with lots of things, it really it really helps. <laughs> um, how do you how do you uh, reconcile aiming low, being pessimistic, however you define it, with also being in a band because a band doesn't have a boss, and they and yet striving to do the best music you possibly can because that seems to me like a thing that comes from a position of ambition and hard work not just settling yeah it does appear as if it as if it comes from that yeah you're right um i'm I'm not sure if it's maybe it was for a while at the beginning that maybe there was that kind of ambition there to to whereas now i think i think the creative ambition in the same way as I think as the ambition to kind of go out and be in nature or whatever I think those two ambitions are very they're very personal and and I get to judge whether they're successful or not rather than trying to judge them by how other people might see them so my, my ambition wouldn't be so for instance when I took up fell running I took up fell running because I went to watch one and was bowled over by what it looked like and thought 
I need to have a go at that. I need to have a go. And once I'd had a go, a little go, I just thought, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. It, and I, I did a fell race up at Burnsall, which is one of the classic fell races. It was the first fell race I did. And I think I finished something like, you know, 96th or something. And I'd, I had no idea if I would ever get any better. I just thought, that was great. I scrambled up this thing and then yeah. you got to, you rounded the summit and then you got to jump over a dry stone wall and you, and you, you get back and you're full of mud and you, and you just think, wow, that was brilliant. That was great. So I, I wasn't motivated by, you know what, if I keep training, I'll get better and better and better. So it meant that when I did get better, I just thought, bonus. Okay. Great. Not only do I enjoy it, but I'm actually getting a bit better at this as well. That's interesting. Yeah. So the, <clears throat> the enjoyment and the love and things came first and then yeah. doing quite well as a bonus. Did you ever win a race? I did, yeah. Did you? I've yeah. never won a race. Have you not? What which what did you win? I've won about about ten altogether. Oh. But there wouldn't be like proper big ones no, at all. Well, oh man, if I won <clears throat> a Malam Show Fell race, that would yeah. be literally the proudest yeah. thing I've ever done. I, I, How does it feel? It, have you had any close finishes? Um, oh, we'll have had, yeah, loads. I, I, there was a lovely film, actually, on uh, somebody posted on something recently, which was a film of the uh, Carnethy race up near Edinburgh, Carnethy Five Hills, which is a great classic race, and it was run one year in deep snow. And I, I remember it because I was running uh, kind of neck and neck with my friend Will Ramsbottom, who died not long afterwards in a mountain mountain climbing accident. So, so I have these really dear memories of, of racing with him. And I just remember racing from, I think we finished, we were both in the top 10, but we, from the last of the five hills or the five mountains, down this really, really rough kind of shale descent. That's the clock striking. Nice. That's like my grandma's it. clock. Is it actually? Yeah. It's not too tall for the shelf though, is it? No. <laughs> And I just remember racing neck and neck down down there into the finish. And somebody had a film of it, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my goodness, I get to see this thing, which I'd kind of mythologised in my head because it was me and Will. And so I really wanted to see it. And it, it, it doesn't quite get it, but it gets enough of it to make me think, yeah, I wasn't making this up. We did race neck and neck all the way down and got to the end, and I was completely spent. I just threw myself on the floor. And it wasn't about whether we finished well high up. It was just this lovely moment that we had together. And we both ran for the same club, so it was a really good, you know, that kind of racing that's not vindictive. or Yeah, nice. I <clears throat> I do a lot of... I used to do races. Now I just run for fun. But last year at the Kendall Mountain Film Festival... Oh, yeah. They have a 10K race right. there, which I got uh, roped into doing. And I was going to run it with Rob McFarlane. All right, the writer. yeah. yeah. And... Um, I have a hate-hate relationship with Robert Farland. Most you yeah. can see is better than me at absolute everything <laughs> in life. He's a brilliant writer. Yeah. He's a lovely, lovely man. And I thought to myself, I'm going to beat you in that race. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to look, I'm going to act casual, but I'm going to get you. Yeah. Then so we set off. Did, and did you? Well, we oh. set off both being all casual, la, 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 uh, running around. And I really enjoyed racing because I was making me go faster, not against him, but just in general, I was going faster than I normally did. And I mm. really enjoyed that competitiveness, even yeah. though we were miles back in the mm. pack. Rob got an injury. So he said, go on ahead. And I went on ahead. And then I thought, uh, I'll wait for him on the finishing straight so we can go across the finish together for that yeah. kind of camaraderie thing. Yeah. So I'm just waiting around on the little barriers and he comes 
barreling around the corner at this ridiculous sprint so that by the time I get out behind the barrier he's five meters ahead of me (laughs) and I'm gassing it with all my life down the Kendall High Street with the guy and the announcer saying oh and there's someone taking this very seriously absolutely going for it I sprinted I was absolutely knackered and he beat me so he beat me at everything but we both collapsed over the line in that kind of laughter and and all anybody will see will be the results exactly with your name behind his yes exactly (laughs) on the Amazon sales list and the fell race yes I tell, I tell you, the, the, the times when I am competitive, if somebody is, is in a race, I've, I've done a race, I didn't remember doing Ben Lohman race, and, and it, it was a runner, I'm not going to say his name, but I remember getting to the to top of near, near the top of Ben Lomond and saying, look at that view, that's amazing. And the runner who was just in front of me said, said uh, um, if you're admiring the view, you're not taking this seriously enough. Right, he said it so seriously, and I just thought, whatever happens now, I'm yeah. going to beat you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill myself to be. And I like, I like that kind of thing. As <clears throat> Al- Alf Tupper style, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you want to see me Alf Tupper tattoo? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Alf Tupper. Alf Tupper, my yeah. um, whatever. When you log onto computers, Alf Tupper. It's not quite. Oh, is it? It's not quite uh, as dedicated as the tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Alf Tupper, the yeah. tougher the track. Brilliant. Um, is it is it trite to describe running as a, a metaphor for life? No, I think it's really good, but but my version of it isn't the version that most people think about. That's what I want. I want <clears throat> to hear your version. My version isn't that that you know it's it's a metaphor for life in that in that there's a you know a start, a middle, and an end, and that we're all aiming for that end goal and. And that you get through the finish line with, you know, having accumulated as much, all, you know, whatever. My version is that life is, it's like doing a, doing a run where you get lost several times and you fall over and you don't know where you are. And you meet people that kind of stop you running for a while, but you don't care because they're, they're interesting enough for you to not have to care about running. And then you kind of think, oh, actually, I'm meant to be running so then you carry on a bit and that's it it's just this series of weird dead ends and double backs and turn turn offs and that the end point of the race or of the run is completely irrelevant until you until you maybe like 30 seconds from the line when you suddenly go oh i don't feel well (laughs) (laughs) so does that make sense it's it's all about the run rather than getting to a finish okay yeah i i agree with that um and I was determined not to mention tub thumping to you because right. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's quite a boring thing in interviews. But no, I don't mind. You don't mind, okay? No, no. But I, I'm a Leeds United fan, so it's a song that I've very fond memories of from back yeah. when we were better than Burnley. Yeah, uh, but I used to play it to come out on the pitch too. Exactly, yeah. I have a lot of happy memories from it. Which is mm. just as an aside, it must be amazing to make music that people remember times in their life with. Yeah. That must be one of the joys of being a musician. It is. And especially if, what I love about that song in particular is that it doesn't, most people don't know who it's by or anything. It's just one of those songs which has kind of become a, just one of these, almost like a folk song. It's just one of them big songs that people jump up and down to at weddings or at, so even at funerals, you know, that People have written to us saying, you know, we want to play it at my dad's funeral. You just think, I can't think of a more inappropriate song, <laughs> but good luck, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and nicely timeless, because I, before, I was in a, 
a cafe in Bradford before coming here and I said I was coming to meet you and the yeah. the the girl who worked there she's about 20 she said oh I've just bought the Chumbawamba cassette for my uh, summer holiday drive so a cassette yeah wow very retro I think that was the she one she was 20 years old and she's buying she's buying yeah. cassettes yeah, that's it's fantastic it's the one sort of hipster place in Bradford yeah that's it's brilliant called bread and roses really nice all right cafe. yeah yeah really nice yeah anyway cool. my point about tub thumping um and why I, I love it and the link with running so my metaphor for life of it is that running is about this tenaciousness the camaraderie and then the memories that you have afterwards yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. that yeah, that's my take on uh, why I like yeah. running, and particularly the sort of running you like, which is mucking about in the hills rather yeah. than the horizontal concrete, which I know yeah, you're not yeah. a fan of. Yeah. Um, so, but <clears throat> fell running mm. is it childlike or childish? Aren't you a bit old for mucking about in the mud, jumping over walls? Yeah, it is childish, but that's that is. Is, is the, it childish that or is childlike? The of it or childish? Um. What's the difference, do you think, between childlike oh, and childish? Oh, in my head, one's good and one's one's like a negative. Childish is like an that, insult kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. In a way, that's the one that, therefore, that I'd kind of embrace more. <laughs> okay, because, good. That, yeah, because I always used to have a thing, which is that I remember thinking that, that my dad wouldn't run for the bus because you get to an age where you, you don't suddenly break into a sprint because you've got your normal clothes on and all that sort of thing, which is not to, to diss my dad because he, he, he was a fell runner anyway. He, he started running. And he was really into all that. But but I remember thinking, oh, okay, so there must be an age where you stop running for the bus. And that age hasn't hasn't come yet. And I think it's the same with fell running. You just think, um, we're, we're meant to put away childish things and we're meant to stop splashing in puddles. And But actually, it's just really good fun. And it's running down, running down uh, Ilkley Moor in the snow is just such a joyous thing to do. Bounding, yeah. Even you know, in your fifties, you just think this is mad, but it's beautiful and it's lovely, and it is childish and childlike. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you take a sense of pride that you're in your fifties and you can still outrun most of the country? Um, or does it not really bother you? I can't say I've ever thought about that. Oh, okay, no, I do. What one of the funny things is that when when Johnny and Maisie had their school, um, what do you call them, school sports day. And they have the parents' races, which which they've had, and they go, "Oh, come on, everybody, have a go!" And I, I used to I used to do it, and all the dads would be there, all younger than me in general, and um, this it would the race would be maybe thirty meters long, <laughs> and I'd, I'd finish really well down. I think I go out running every day, you know, I can run huge distances, but thirty meters they just they just kill me. <laughs> You, and so that's the one time where I think, I wish they'd one day they'd go, let's all run to the top of the Chevy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> parents race next year, yeah. is 15 miles. Yeah. And then I'd enjoy it. Yeah. And then you'd win. Yeah. 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 Yes. Well, I've always, I'm, I, my, um, one of my chips on my shoulder, I guess, in life and always trying to prove myself was I wasn't very good at sprinting as a kid <clears> or <throat> even middle, di- actually, I wasn't very good at running in general. Yeah. But what I've noticed in life that is if someone beats me at this distance, we'll just up it, we'll beat it that distance. And if we get to the point where it's, I have to, I'll run around the world, I reckon I could beat you around the world. <laughs> yeah, so this yeah. is, this is where great. I, I have like to get that. to to finally prove myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I think that explains good. a lot of my expeditions. Yeah. <laughs> the only way I can prove myself. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a bit about um, risk. Um, so, and in specifically the, the folly of, um, starting a band and deciding to be in a band 
because uh, that in terms of things that are almost guaranteed to fail yeah that must be pretty much yeah top of the pile really high percentage so yeah. when you started a band uh, did <clears throat> you have any uh, delusions of actually making it a viable job or was it just fun it was fun yeah it definitely wasn't definitely wasn't a job no um hi we're recording hi okay just say hello sup <laughs> you can leave now what is come it? on don't take over the interview get out chica just an interview on, on bbc no it's a podcast okay right you've got to leave now in the hi, middle podcast. of podcast <laughs> <laughs> um um you're talking about joining a band and yeah. whether it's a career option <clears throat> No, it never was. And I, th- I think that um, um, the fact that it became viable was a bit of a shock to everybody. It was like, all oh, right, this is, this is kind of working. And one of the things was, was quite early on was realising that all the people that we used to share stages with, our peers, it was that thing of suddenly thinking, ah, we, we, could, we can kind of take this more seriously than they are doing or we can do things with this that other people aren't thinking about or we can come up with ways of just ways of making it better that maybe other people that we knew weren't quite working out it was and that was a bit of a revelation as well it was thinking at that point all right well maybe we can go further than just playing in youth clubs in leeds and then it was oh right oh we've got a gig in bristol and then from there it was Oh, we can go to to Europe, and at each step you kind of think, "Oh, this is nice. We get to do this," and so it, it ups your game, and you keep thinking, "Right, what should we do with this? Let's do something." And uh, you know, in terms of risk, <clears throat> there's um, I think that the the risk isn't it, like like with with me running and things like that. I'm I'm not really a risk risk taker. I don't like um sports that have a, an inbuilt an inbuilt danger so if i'm doing a fell a fell run uh, in the middle of winter up on um say the kentmere round in the lake district you get halfway around and it's incredibly awful weather and there's a storm comes in and it's a snowstorm and and there's a complete whiteout then i i go right i'm off this mountain i'm straight down the the path into the valley and i'm i'm really sensible like that but but with life with 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 art and with music I tend to think, right, I've done this thing for two years now. What can I do now that's going to really risk my position? So I don't get cre- stuck. Creative risk. Yeah, creative you're up risk. For that. I don't want to get stuck doing the same thing. So I think, what can I do that's, yeah, that's going to change everything? And people, are, people sometimes will say, oh, why are you doing that? You know, you had a good, safe position there, but just keeps you on your toes keeps you thinking yeah so when you were, when you say get to the next stage of the band going from here to there to there yeah. did you did you feel that you belonged there or did you feel what are we doing we're going to get found out any minute and we'll be off back to a geisley youth club no because 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 i think i i started realizing the things that we were good at and thinking so one of them was the fact that we were prepared to take risks so a lot of the bands that we played with at the beginning cuz we were a, you know, we were a punk band. We were different to most of the other punk bands because we had um, women, really strong, powerful women in the band who who were, you know, a really important part of it. They weren't, they weren't just, oh, I'm a lead vocalist. And I said, you know, and, and we were a 
we worked cooperatively, so everybody had input into everything. So we were already a bit unusual, but we kind of thought, what can we do with this this punk music? I know, I've grown up listening to the Beatles and I'm, you know, listening to folk music. Let's let's do some harmonies. And it's like, oh, let's do some a cappella singing and let's let's see what we can do with five part harmony without any electric, you know, instruments. It was that thing of thinking we were able to we were able to try things that other people weren't doing and thereby thinking this is working, we can keep this going. And so it didn't feel like, oh, we'll get found out. It felt like it felt more like yeah, we're we're in charge of this now. We know what we can do with this. Okay, so you're of all the people I've been speaking to, you're the first person who I've spoken to who hasn't um, declared themselves to be a massive imposter in what they do. Really? So that's really interesting. Well, I, you, have, I, you have you have some underlying confidence in your competence. Yeah, then. I do. I think because one of the things after the band stopped, which was I don't know, to all intents and purposes, maybe f- six, five, six, seven years ago or something. Um, you know, and we were all thinking, what are we going to do now? I'd already started writing for theatre and doing plays and all that sort of thing, and I'd started working with choirs and uh, doing stuff with uh, arts projects and then community projects, and then and this year I've been working with the um, Welsh National Opera, and every step along that way, <clears throat> you have to... You can't blag it. You can't go, oh, what am I doing here? I'm not sure if I can do this. You've got to think, I'm good enough to do this. Otherwise, you'll 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 fail. That's and I've had to learn that because I am in general I'm quite humble. It doesn't sound like it now, but you're sounding confident. I've had to walk into a room really unconfident, but but think I've got to show that I'm confident about this and make it work. Yeah. Um, so you you said earlier on you weren't ambitious. Um, do you think were you all driven then perhaps by curiosity? Is that a factor in? in where you could go and what you could, what you were capable of? I think one thing I was, I've always been driven by, even though, even before I realised it, was the fact that the creative impulse, it, I have no saying whether it's there or not. It's just there. <clears throat> Ever since I was a kid, I've been writing, drawing, you know, doing poems and whatever. Even before I could play a musical instrument, I was writing songs and and I was writing scripts for me and friends to to perform around cassette recorders and things like that. And it, it's it 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 can be quite painful because because you've no you can't shut it off. You you, you actually can't go on holiday. Okay. You go on holiday and you're th- still thinking, oh, I've just found a way of resolving that problem I had with that such and such a piece of music or with oh, I know what would be a good line. You can't switch it off. It's always there, and. So it can be hard work, but it's also a really lovely thing that you, you you have that impulse and you have to do something creative. It's not something where I think I better do something creative because it's my job. It's just there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I started doing adventure stuff about twenty years ago and sort of just charging full on an adventure and and loving it and also finding that was like a really big part of who I was. Mm. But over 20 years, people change, of course. Yeah. But it took me a long time to realise that I was changing, but my charging at adventure approach wasn't changing. And I really struggled with that. So I was interested um, when you, because you'd worked, you guys had been in this band for so long. Mm. You'd done really well in terms of being together for so long. How do you know when to stop and change direction? 
Um, but some of my artistic and musical heroes, again, even before I was in a band, were the people that that changed a lot. So, so I, so the Beatles, for instance, were were really pivotal pivotal to me. And my dad had one record that he passed on to me, which was the Beatles' "Rubber Soul." And when I and I first, and I used to play that when I was really young, you know, when I was, you know, whatever, eight or nine, and and I thought that's what the Beatles were. And then, and then uh, I had got some got some money off my grandma for Christmas and bought the White Album. I thought, oh my goodness, this is something else entirely. Right. And then it was like, oh, so they also did that. I want to hold your hand, and she loves you, and can't buy me love. And this, and I remember having to piece it together in my head that this was the same four people that had gone through a decade, kind of reflecting society and culture in a different way every year for ten years, in a very, very different way. And how and how beautiful that was, and how remarkable, and what a lovely thing that must be able to do. And then. I find out some artists that did that as well, you know, creative people. There's, there's um, um, people like people who, who um, I'm trying to think who there is now. Uh, someone like Jeremy Deller, who's an artist around at the moment, and you can never second guess what he's going to do next. He'll do, <clears throat> he'll do a big reenactment for a film, or he'll do a huge oil painting, or he'll do a, a sculpture, or he'll do a thing that involves a thousand people descending on a beach somewhere to do some performance. You, you just don't know what he's going to do next, and I, I really admire that. So then when we started in the band, one of the first things we did was um, we said, oh, we, we, okay, we've got a name for the band, we'd better come up with a logo, right? Because that's what you do when you're in a band. Yeah, that's you, the fun stuff. You often come up with the name and the logo even before you've yeah. played a note. And so we, we were going... Um, this is before Chumbawamba, this is a band that was in called Chimpit's Banana. And we were going, um, well, let's do it so that every gig is completely different to the last one. So the first gig we did was, I uh, can't remember, we had a set of songs. We couldn't play instruments, we couldn't sing very well, <laughs> but we did them. And then the second gig, we said, right, let's do a gig where all the songs are about, uh, I don't I have no idea why we came up with this, but all the songs are going to be about nighttime and going to sleep. So we wrote these songs about going to sleep. And we all did the gig in pyjamas. And one of the band members slept on a on a mattress, which we'd taken to the gig on in the middle of the stage all the way through. And then the third gig, we said, let's be one of those cabaret bands where we all wear velvet suits and bow ties and do <laughs> tie yellow ribbon. And we did that every gig. And we just thought, this is really good fun, just changing it every time. Why would you want to be in a band that's just the same set every time for years and years and years? And that just translated into when we did sort of Chumbawamba. It was the same thing, and we went... Um, when we started making records, we're going every time we make a record, let's never have the same typeface or the same way of writing the band's name, because then people can't put it on the leather jackets and people can't just go, "Oh yeah, we know what they are." Let's make it so that every record sounds different. And it's the same with music, you know. Thinking, I've written this song, and it's like a bit kind of like a, a jazz 1930s pastiche, and then a week later, oh, there's this other song, and it's it's. It's kind of really heavy, you know, electronica and and that and it's just fun doing that. It's really good fun. And we just got it just became the way we did things. So we had two albums which were quite noisy and all this sort of thing. So what can we do next? Let's do a, a whole album of a cappella folk music. Partly because our audience will think, what on earth is that? <laughs> yeah. And as it happened, and that that suddenly that record sold really well in Germany. So we were kind of, oh, the audience has given us the power to do that 
they're saying it's all right if you want to completely change what you do every time. So that was like, okay, great, we'll just carry on doing that then. That's really interesting. I found that... Sorry, that was such a long answer. It's a really good answer. And actually, you didn't answer the question. Oh, did I not? Okay. Which I'll ask you again in a minute, but it was really good. Um, What I found when I'm trying to do stuff, like come up with projects or ideas or books, that there's times when I think, right, someone like me, I should do this sort of thing. And if I do this sort of thing, I'll probably get rich and famous and that'd be great. Yeah. And when I do that, it's always rubbish and I hate it. I feel really hate myself yeah and then there's been two or three times i've just thought this is a stupid idea but i really really want to go do x yeah and i go do it and it makes me really happy and then weirdly or perhaps not weirdly ends up selling more than anything else yeah and i find that a really interesting aspect is that just because you notice it or does it does it really seem to work like that no it works well i think because it's a project an idea that's grabbed my imagination yeah and therefore it's likely to grab someone else's. And I suppose also I've put more effort into, or more heart and soul into yeah. it. So for example, my my dabbling, I'm also a professional musician. All right. Uh, because uh, three summers ago, I went to Spain with a violin that I could hardly play. So I was, I yeah. was worse than grade one. Yeah. And I had no money, no credit card, only my violin. Yeah. I was following an old Laurie Lee book. And my plan was to walk from northwest spain to madrid for a month 500 miles of hiking yeah with no money only my violin brilliant and the first morning i stood up in this town square i'd never played in front of anyone in my life except my music teacher is yeah pretty much my biggest phobia is karaoke or dancing yeah i had no money i thought oh, if i want to buy a loaf of bread i've got to play yeah soaring away it's this massive massive exercise in vulnerability yeah yeah uh, but i did it um, earned a loaf of bread and it was Brilliant. one of the best adventures of my life yeah but quite an unconventional approach to what is adventure and the bread tasted so much sweeter i mean oh. that's that's brilliant that's a great thing to do yeah oh it's one and of, did you sustain yourself going going across i did i sustained across. myself far better than i'd <clears throat> imagined so in the month i earned 125 euros so right you can live like a king for that yeah, it was yeah amazing yeah. that's fantastic yeah. oh it's amazing on, on banana sandwiches exactly that's yeah. really good yeah yeah because we, we we used to go to paris busking we went to for two summers like a couple of months each summer and uh we didn't really know what we were doing i'd i'd it was the first guitar i'd ever picked up which was my mum's my mum had bought a really cheap spanish guitar and we just said, let's go to Paris and busk. We've heard that buskers go there. And we did songs by um, The Clash and The Undertones and Buzzcocks and things like that. And we were pretty awful. But we always got a crowd because we were kind of weird and interesting. And again, like you, we just thought, oh, this kind of works. We don't really know what we're doing, but people are putting money in a hat. And now I can, yeah. And it was banana, banana and tomato sandwiches. Together. every day no not together yeah. i think that's often the way in life when you think oh, i don't really know what we're doing but we'll go do it anyway that yeah. leads to the, yeah. the good stuff doesn't it yeah i think people often make the mistake of assuming that someone must have had this all figured out bum bum yeah, bum yeah. before doing but yeah are you quite keen on just launching into stuff and then learning on the job yeah yeah especially if somebody like with with the opera thing I've I've never done anything to do with opera ever in my life. And this writer I know called Sarah who's brilliant and she just said, hey, I've, I've, I've got this, you know, idea of a project that, and I do some stuff with Welsh National Opera. Do you want to do the music for it? And I just went, yeah, great. And then I, I came home and went, I have no idea what I've just said yes to. Was what, that exciting what or scary? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. Was it exciting or scary? It was both, but in a good way. Yeah. 
It's like somebody going, um, um, you know, we've got a 70-piece orchestra and you, you can do that. And I, I was thinking, right, that's, that's, I'm out of my depth. I said, I'll, I'll do a string quartet. And then he immediately went and rang my sister up because she knows a lot more about music than I do. I said, and you've got to come round and tell me, you know, what the musical range of these instruments is. I have no idea. And tell me how to, you know, how to notate this. And she came around and gave me a lesson for a couple of hours. And I was like, all right, I can do it now. Okay, off you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I just want to read you a couple of lines from your book that I really liked. All right. Um, I really <clears throat> liked your book, by the way. Thanks. Actually, I didn't really like the chapters on the marathon yeah, stuff. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Oh, do they? Yeah. I think you were getting something out of your system with that. I think I was, yeah. Okay, but yeah. the other chapters, yeah. the fell running and wild running, I loved. Yeah. Right. Uh, when we were young, we dreamed of adventure. Then, as we got older, we were taught that dreams of adventure are for the young. And we got scared by poverty and the responsibility of relationships and children. We grew up. Running wild gives us some of that back. Um, so my question is, what does, what does living adventurously mean to you? Well, because one of the things I was saying earlier was that I think the, one of the biggest adventures, adventurous kind of leaps that I've made in my life has been saying, let's, we've got a family and all that sort of thing, let's just get everything together and leave the city and instead live in a small town where I can go out the front door and run, run in the forest and on the moors. Was that unfamiliar to you? <clears throat> that was really unfamiliar because I'd spent my life leaving the city to, to run. And and it was this thing of, of course, I need to solve that problem somehow, and that and that was it. But in general, I think that 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 passage is kind of interesting to me because I'm what I'm trying to do is is to say <clears throat> it's not Run Wild isn't a book which is like uh, one of those great adventure books where you're sitting in an armchair reading about someone who's climbing a mountain and they've got a broken leg and they're, they're dangling off a precipice somewhere. Yeah. It's not one of those books. It's more a kind of trying to nudge people into doing something. So it's more like even if you do have responsibilities and a, and a job and children and, you, and you're in a kind of, kind of a stuck situation, which most of us are in general, then running can be a way of escaping that and it can be a way of not even escaping, integrating into your life that gives you a semblance of wildness. And it's not its not real wildness. It's not like, yeah, let's run away from the neoliberal capitalist system and live with, you know, live naked in the woods. But it is a, it is a being able to recapture some of that stuff you had when you were a kid, which is that you go off for a day and you kind of go... Uh, mum, we're going out and I'll be back at tea time. And you're gone seven or eight hours and you're just around the fields and the hills and the woods and you just don't, you have not got a care in the world and it's just great fun. And as an adult, you can get that for an hour, say, through running. Yeah. But what about if you're not a runner? I think you can get it in, in other ways. Because at the moment, I think there's there's a, we've gone through this, this ridiculous, um, ridiculously quick change from, uh, because of digital technology, we've suddenly got into a situation where everybody became locked into uh, social media and digital communication and, and 24-hour um, 
connectivity, screen time and all that sort of thing. And so so what's happening is that people everywhere are, are not just they're not just running, they're um they're uh, gardening and baking and and making clothes and cycling, uh walking, uh joining choirs, anything that fe- basically feels physical and natural natural is not a great word, physical and kind of um to do with uh, that physicality of it's your body and it's, you're not needing any kind of outside help to do it. You don't need gear and all that sort of thing. You can, and I love that. All, all those things are, are really gaining loads of popularity because people are excited by the by returning to a state of of this is what we're capable of as human beings without doing it on a screen. And I love that. I think it's great. It gives me loads of hope that those things are becoming a lot more popular. So whilst you look at the, the the news, news headlines and what's happening with politics, and it can be really, really depressing and frustrating and annoying, at the same time you you kind of think, yes, but but I just read this thing that said um, sales of, of musical instruments in Britain last year were greater than sales of recorded music. And it was the first time for like wow. 25 years. It was one of those things and yeah. I just thought, oh, that's brilliant. Even, you know, it's people are going out and buying ukuleles because it's a piece of wood with bits on and they're having to learn how to play it. And, and you know, it doesn't matter how many YouTube t- tutorials you watch, in the end it's you and a piece of wood with some nylon strings. But I love all that, just people returning to, to, to real physical down-to-earth things, especially things that connect you with nature as well. That is a perfect note to end on. Uh, Bob, that was a rant, wasn't it? That was a rant. It's good to end on a rant. <laughs> Any more rants or was that sufficient ranting? No, is there anything that, that you, that I would, and like you just said that thing about the, the parts in, in my book, which are about the, uh, like the marathon and stuff. Is there anything about what I've said that you would think, mm, I'm not sure about that. I, I would say something completely different. No, not something at all. you might have a bit of a, mm, bit of an argument against. Yeah. I'm not a mm, arguing kind of guy. No. No. I'll just go away and write it down like yeah, okay, that guy's yeah. an idiot. I didn't yeah. put enough ketchup in my yeah. veggie burger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it really resonates with me. And okay. I, what I found really interesting is to talk to people who there's some sort of overlap in the Venn diagrams, but the different parts is what interests me. So, for example, for you, the whole musical frame of your life is, well, apart from my, um, I did do grade one violin, but apart right. from that, that's the end of my music. So I really yeah. enjoy asking you about music and then listening how that can transfer into the things I do. Yeah, so really yeah, interesting. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you That's very good. much. So when you're talking with, with Rob Cowan, for instance, will, what would be the overlap? Well, I suppose, because you, you see, I wrote, I wrote a book about running, not because I think I'm a writer. I would say that you and Rob Cowan are writers. I'd say I would just felt like I want to write a book about this because I'm loving it so much. That was my thing. Um. I finally got you on some imposter syndrome there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I write books because I like reading books. That's the... Yeah. Um, and I think writing, for me, feels like a hardcore version of reading in terms of just immersing yeah. myself in words and yeah. kind of trying to get a message that out of my head onto yeah. paper in an articulate way. Yeah. But I don't think of myself as a writer. Do you think writing is one of those things of of returning to... It's obviously not returning for you, but in terms of people want to do that kind of thing now because it feels visceral and real. 
Well, I, th- I think aspects of it are. I mean, people love getting notebooks, don't they? Notebooks yeah. and pens yeah. and that sort of stuff. And but I, whenever I'm trying to write something good, I write it on paper with a pen. Um, but even I think even writing on a on a a laptop is a kind of if you really if you're saying I am writing this because it's really important, then you're reacting against text speak and against firing off quick emails yeah it's like saying i'm going to take some time over this yeah it's nice to do something that is slow yeah and long yeah and hard and perhaps not with a guaranteed result yeah i like that part of it yeah that you're you're just investing in it because it feels important to you i mean you don't know you'd have to be an idiot to write a book with the aim of making money because that's a yeah stupid yeah forget it doesn't happen yeah (laughs) the amount of hours you put into it yeah yeah so I like that aspect of writing that yeah. I'm doing this because it just feels like something I want to and need to do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm willing to commit to that long, painful process. Yeah. It's like a metaphor for running. Writing yeah, is yeah. a metaphor for running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. 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 Cool. No, thanks for that. That was, that was great. It was Thank really you. interesting. I very much enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and also you've given me a tip for where I can go jump in a river um, when I leave yeah. you so that's double double good news yeah so thank you very much yeah thank you I just hear the sound of my cat licking licking her fur go on Betty come on Betty go on yeah oh she's gone quiet yeah Okay, thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for that. <laughs> I thought you might do the, you know, thing. Oh, there it is. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is with sport-specific routing. Kamut doesn't just plan any route. Oh no, Kamut plans your route. Select your sport, choose your start and end points, and Kamut plots a route using the best option for you. Whether that's smooth asphalt for your road bike, quiet gravel tracks for some chilled mountain bike riding or bike touring, or a road-free trail for your walk or ramble. After that, You can personalise your route even more by dragging the pins on your desktop screen or app to include your chosen destinations along the way of your adventure. Your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash G and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.